Hello, everyone. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Saturday, Saturday the, the 14th. 14th. I'm Maddie. And I am Maggie. And we're talking about a rather interesting movie this time around. Yeah, so one of the interesting things about this podcast um, is that, you know, there's a lot of subgenres to horror, which you guys know, and we talk about it all the time. Uh, we all have our favorites, and a lot of the ones that fall outside of those favorites are not necessarily ones that we would spend time watching uh yeah i really like kind of supernaturally ones and ones from like the mid 2000s yeah and i personally really love slashers um but I don't think that splatter films are really either of our thing no i mean i do enjoy some gore occasionally i especially i mean i'm a big like quentin tarantino fan so like the stuff like his movies can be kind of gratuitously bloody at times yeah but not quite like this and i mean listen like i love the scene in nightmare on elm street where the bed eats johnny depp and then just like throws blood oh yeah that's great place that's fantastic um but splatter is a big part of horror and um it's had a lot of influence on, like, the gore, like, the, the torture porn genre of, like, that got really big in the 2000s with, like, Saw and Hostel and things like that. And so this week we are talking about um, not really the beginning and not really the end. We're talking sort of about a weird extreme middle it, this is like gore the movie. daddy of all splatters. Yeah, it's sort of like, yeah, it's the, uh, up until recently it was the most gory movie of all time. I think that the, the new Evil Dead remake has um, ousted it from that seat. But I'm going to guess that it isn't... I mean, I'm sure it's also very gratuitous. I haven't seen the new one. I've only seen the original. We'll probably get around to watching the new one and the old one together at some point in time. But I'm sure they don't have a lawnmower that, like, goes through, like, an entire party, like, decimating it. I gotta be honest with you. I had my issues with that movie. I thought that scene was hilarious. That was pretty funny. Um, That was really funny. Also, the weird, like, stomach opening scene where the mom, like, eats her son with her, like, open stomach. So if you guys have not figured it out, either through your knowledge of these events or through the title of this episode, um, we are talking about Brain Dead, um, more commonly known in North America as Dead Alive. Yeah, I remember seeing um, VHS for this movie on the shelf at the local Blockbuster, like... I used to have this weird habit when I was a kid where when my parents were going to pick out a movie, I would go walk through the scary movie section because I just thought the titles and the like posters looked really cool and I was fascinated even though I'd end up like terrified by them. And this was one that was like always there. And the poster's really iconic. It has like a weird face sticking out of a mouth that's like being pulled apart. Yeah, it's super, super creepy. It's a great poster. Yeah. Honestly, for a horror movie, it's fantastic. Um, and throughout this movie, so it has two names because it was originally released in New Zealand, um, as Brain Dead. And then when it came to the United States, there was already a movie called Brain Dead that had been made a few years before that. And so it became known as Dead Alive. So for the most part, I think we're probably going to refer to it as Dead Alive through this. Yeah, because that's what we grew up knowing it as. Right. Um, but it was... Released in 1992, and it was directed by, of all fucking people, Peter Jackson. I saw that, and I was like, this has to be a different Peter Jackson. Nope. I was in shock. The interesting thing is that um, we were kind of looking over his film history, and he really doesn't have, like, a genre that he works in at all. No. Because he started out in this stuff, and then he he's done, obviously, The Lord of the Rings, or, like, the big thing that everybody knows about him. But he did, like, the Lovely Bones movie, and he did that King Kong movie. I think he moved into, like, epic blockbusters for the most part, because now when you see Peter Jackson, you think Lord of the Rings. You think right. King Kong. Lovely Bones is kind of a surprise. Yeah. It's interesting. Especially he did Heavenly Creatures, which is, like, a thriller about, like, uh... 
New Zealand murder case. Huh. It's like a very, he just doesn't really stick to a genre, which is kind of cool. Like he, he dabbles in a lot. Yeah, considering some like the really insensitive jokes in this movie, I'm actually surprised he was then picked to do The Lovely Bones, which is about a little girl who gets like kidnapped and murdered and... Yeah. Yeah. I think that there were a lot of years in between. That there were, yes. also already done Lord of the Rings. That's true. So... No, I mean, I'm sure he has grown and changed, even though he's still very proud of this movie. Um, but it's very interesting. I was, I was just surprised when I saw Peter Jackson's name. Yeah. And the script was written by him, uh, Stephen Sinclair, and Fran Walsh, who, this I actually find very adorable. Fran Walsh has been Peter Jackson's partner, like romantically and also work-wise, since 1987. Oh, wow. And this is the first film that they worked on together. She worked on the script with him. Um, and they have worked on, I think, every single movie that he's made since then they've worked on together. Oh, that's cute. Which is adorable. They have two kids together. I find it very sweet. And uh, it stars... Timothy Balm, Diana Penalver, Elizabeth Moody, and Ian Watkin. Yeah. And this is interesting because we talk a lot about how a horror movie can be made on a low budget and then make a ton of money. Um, and this didn't do that. No. I mean, there were a lot of special effects and they were all practical without like CGI. Yeah. So it cost $3 million to make this movie. Yes. Which is not a huge budget. It's Still, not. that's not a big deal. But it only made 242000 $623. And that's in the U.S. It yeah. Was, it only had a small limited release here. Do you like the gore content and all that jazz? It was actually heavily censored or given like a NC-17 style rating in a lot of countries. Um, but in New Zealand did really well. We're actually outsold in tickets Batman Returns we saw. That's interesting because I could not find anything yeah, about how much um, money it made in New Zealand. I couldn't Zealand. find exact numbers. Um, but there's a blog post that I was reading about this. And it said that it did do okay worldwide. It did more than what it did in the U.S. Um, but it still didn't make back the $3 million. Yeah, that's a bummer. But that's in terms how of box it office. How sell Batman and not make back $3 million? New Zealand is not a very big country. Oh, that's true. Yeah, okay. And that was specifically in New Zealand. Right, right. All right, fine. <laughs> um... So it's it's interesting to see how well this did in post-box office life, though. Like, in terms of home sales, DVD, Blu-ray, VHS, like, it did really well. And it had, like, a huge resurgence after The Lord of the Rings when people found out who Peter Jackson was and, like, looked him up and saw that he did this movie. So a bunch of people went and bought it. Yeah. Weird movie to watch if you're expecting anything remotely similar to Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson, because it is not like that at all. I think it was the first time I've, like, gagged in a movie in a long time. It got pretty... Yeah. There's some... The blood didn't get me. Um, no. It was the pudding scene yeah, that got me. Yeah, the pudding me. scene was very difficult. Ooh. Yep. Oh, God. I'm gagging up a little just thinking about it. <laughs> mm. It was it's really the, gross. The, the thickness and the ear. Mm. It was the okay. ear for me that yeah. did it. It was both. It was the... Well, mm. Both. Anyway. Anyway. Um, the point is that... Uh, this movie is really gross. It and is. Uh, they have, like, I don't mind blood. Yeah. Not, I don't mind a ton of blood in the it movie. It is super fucking gross, though. Like, there are parts of it that are gross. There are parts of it that are just weird. 
Yeah. There's some jokes that are funny and there's some jokes that kind of fall flat. Yeah. Um, and it is also like a slapstick comedy. Like there's a lot of physical oh, humor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's very much in the vein of like Evil Dead 2 with that where it's like I ridiculous. think it's almost even more than Evil Dead 2. Oh, I think that they do kind of crank it up more like, than they do in um, Evil Dead. But it's kind of in that lineage. There's you know? a scene where the main character is like running, but there's so much blood on the floor <laughs> that he's just like running in place. And it, it lasts for like for 45 like, yeah, seconds or really something like that. Time. It's a long time that's just him running in place trying to get away from these zombies. And then the only way he gets away is by like stepping on body parts because that's the only place where he can actually like his feet can uh gain traction and so there's just little things like that that just are so weird it's super weird it is and honestly like it's not necessarily my cup of tea but it has some moments it has its charm um there are some things that i do have some strong issues with i understand why this is a cult classic but why don't we get into it so we can provide a more yes. in-depth analysis later Absolutely. on. So this movie opens up in 1957 um, with explorer Stuart McAlden. And his, uh, he's got a team that he's working with. And they're trying to get this Sumatran rat monkey, which is like a hybrid creature that resulted in crossbreeding, um, resulted from crossbreeding of tree monkeys and plague-carrying rats, which they take the time to specify was non-consensual. I yeah. It was weird, because, like, it, they don't actually bring that part up until later in the movie yeah. um, when they're at the zoo. But, like, there's this zookeeper that takes, like, great pleasure in being, like, we heard these giant, like, plague-ridden rats all went to this. And, like, they all, like, assaulted the monkeys. And, like, that's how this thing was born. <laughs> Yeah, it's really weird. I don't necessarily know why that needed to be included, but whatever. Moving along. Yeah. Um, and it, so they're, they've already captured this monkey, and they're carrying this around. Off and of Skull Island, which will become important, not during our synopsis, but later on. Yeah. Um, and they're, like, while they're trying to leave, um, his assistant, who's, like, a person of color, he's, like saying that we shouldn't do this, like, he feels bad, we should leave it behind, and the explorer's, like, just shitting on this guy, like, and treating him like he's a fucking idiot, like... He's so mean. Yeah, and then they come across, like, a indigenous tribe on this island who tries to stop them from taking this monkey. Which, listen, okay, if you're somewhere that you're not, like, used to being, right, and the people who've lived there forever are like don't fucking take that thing away from here just leave it just leave it and leave then it. They, but then the explorer guy Stuart McAlden he like pulls out a paper and he's like permit permit do you see this this means I can do this and then there's like this weird reaction scene that makes all the indigenous people just seem like dumb yeah this is not it's like it's a <laughs> very insensitive not, movie yeah it's not great in terms of how it portrays uh indigenous people um which is also sort of in line with um, some Sam Raimi <laughs> influence. That's true. Um, later on. I, I feel like it was just a, a big issue for a really long time. Especially in, uh, in like the nine, 80s, 90s. Like yeah. it was more of an issue. I mean, I think people have gotten better about it today, which is good. Yeah. But I was watching. This is how the movie starts. Yeah. And so in the first five minutes, I was like, what the heck am I, I watching? Like, Fuck, it's going to be racist the whole time. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. But it gets better, it's, kind of. It's less racist later. Yeah. I think the first like so, five minutes are the worst. Yeah. Um, and anyway, they end up getting away from the indigenous people, and, uh, during their escape, the explorer guy ends up getting bitten, like, through the box somehow by this rat monkey. Yeah, and they're like, he gets bit on the hand, and then his crew is like, we have to cut your hand off now. Yep. And he's like, what? And then while they're cutting his hand off, they notice that he has been bitten on his forehead as well, and they're like, well, and they cut his head off. Yep. 
And then to cut to the title. Yeah. Pew, pew, pew. Get <laughs> alive. Um, anyway, back in uh, Wellington in New Zealand, because that's where this movie takes place, we meet a really sweet young woman named Paquita. Um, and she works in a shop like that her family owns. Um, yeah. And I think that they're supposed to be Romani. They're supposed to be Spanish Romani. Okay. Um, so her mom is very into like mysticism, as all Romani characters in 1990s horror movies are. Or in the 2000s, in the case of Raimi and Drag Me to Hell. Yep. Yep, keeps it consistent. Um, but yeah, Paquita like is clearly like kind of boy crazy. Yeah, she and, has a crush on this guy Roger who comes into the store. Yeah, and she's convinced they're supposed to be together. Like she's wearing like her like clerk outfit, like her uniform, and then she takes off. She's wearing this like really pretty dress underneath, but he just is not paying any attention. Yeah, so she gets her tarot cards read. Yeah, um, her mom's like, "Let me see what like your romantic future is," mm-hmm. and she's told that she's going to meet a man. She's going to have a romance. There will only be one. It will be very quick, and it's not with that guy Roger. Um, but she'll be able to know who it is based on the sign of like. The, the the moon and the star. Yeah. Um, and so then this fucking doofy dumbass named Lionel comes into the store. Yeah, and he interrupts the tarot card reading, and he just knocks over like everything. Like he just beginning to end is just like a fucking train wreck. Yeah, and Bikita comes out and she's like pissed off at him for interrupting, but at some point he ends up spilling this like can of pencils Mm -hmm. and they fall into the shape and so she's convinced like oh man we're destined to be together and he's like oh what's going on he runs away because like her expression changes and he just gtfos he does not know how to deal with it he nearly gets hit by a truck yep um doesn't do great so he runs home to his creepy ass victorian mansion where he lives with his overbearing mother which is a great start to any romance is vera vera yeah and um paquita ends up taking the groceries that he'd ordered to the house like as a delivery and she her dog comes with and he goes outside and they're talking about the zoo for some reason it like comes up in conversation yeah he like says something about like it's like going to the zoo or something like that and she goes we're gonna go to the zoo and he's like yep okay we'll go to the zoo (laughs) like it's really weird they they it's a very awkward conversation but anyway she's like you're taking me to the zoo we're gonna go tomorrow Mm -hmm. and uh, then vera like inside sees that her son is like talking to this woman outside and so she like breaks something to get him to come back inside and pay attention to her instead yeah she's not fun she's not a fun person she is not and then um next day lionel and uh paquita go to the zoo and they have a weird conversation about how his father died when he was a child. Um, yeah. By drowning because he was drowning. And he was drowning in the ocean. His father swam out to save him. Mm-hmm. But in the process, he ended up dying. And he's still like very afraid of water and like has a hard time with it. He has like all these flashbacks throughout the movie of like himself underwater. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they end up like kissing after he confesses this. At first, it seems like he's not interested. And then he ends up falling for Paquita as well. Yeah, they they decide they like each other very quickly. Yeah. And uh, surprise, though, Vera, the over-domineering mother of Lionel, has followed them to the zoo. Of course. Um, Though I do think there's a really funny scene where... Not funny. That's the wrong word. Messed up? Weird? Confusing? Supposed to be funny? funny. Um, So a monkey throws, like, an apple at... Paquita and Lionel like when they kiss and so Paquita like throws the apple back to the monkey like oh ha ha it's like a game the monkey this is a normal monkey goes down to get the apple and then the Sumatran rat monkey who like shares a cage barrier with her something like that punches the other monkey in the face (laughs) and we see this really bad like 
stop motion hairless rat monkeyish really type thing. It's weird. It's insane looking. Yeah, and he steals the apple and eats it, but then he pulls the arm off of the monkey. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then eats that. He does. And the zookeeper, this is when the zookeeper comes over to like tell them a bunch of weird shit about the Sumatran rat monkey. He talks about how like the people who live on the island where it came from use it in like black magic or something like that. He is also racist, aside from delighting in discussing like monkey rape with these yeah. complete strangers who have never met. He him definitely a, makes a, a bunch movie. of like comments about like the black magic and like sacrificing of virgins and things. Just seemed like out of nowhere. They didn't ask for this. No. They're just watching these monkeys. The zookeeper comes up to save the monkey who had its arm ripped off. And like while holding this like half dead monkey tells them all these things. It's very weird. Very weird. But Vera, who is also there, gets too close to the Sumatran rat monkey's cage and it bites her. Yep, and she ends up screaming, and Lionel's like, oh no, that's my mom screaming. And like, they have to cut the day short because he has to go take care of his now-bitten mom. I don't think that I could identify my mother just by her screaming. I don't think I've heard her scream before. Well, to be fair, Vera is always screaming. That's true. And he still lives with her. Also true. Maybe if you were like 17 and your mom was constantly screaming and you went on a date to the zoo and you heard a scream, you might be able to recognize if it was your mom's. Especially if she had as signature of a scream as Vera. That's true. There's a lot that I, you know, would have to change for that to be applicable to my life. Lionel takes Vera home and like puts her to bed and she basically says like, I want you to break up with Paquita. Yeah. And he is not into it, but he is also very obviously... Like, he doesn't have the power in the relationship with him and his mom. Like, she's in charge. Yeah. So. Um, so things don't go well for Vera. Um, they try to... He, he goes in the next day to try to, like, fix up her bandages and, like... And it's, she's really ill-looking. Yeah, she but, looks disgusting. And her, like, her arm is, like, rotting. Like, yeah. her wound is... It's, like, putrid. It's horrifying. Um, but she has, like, some colleagues coming over because she's trying to get a position on this board for this club that it's, like, the WCWC or... Yeah. It's something like that. I think it's, like, a Daughters of, uh... New Zealand. The Revolution, but, like, the (laughs) New Zealand version. It's a powerful ladies club in Wellington, New Zealand. Yep. And so, uh... He's like, no, I'm going to send them away. You're ill. And she's like, no, I can do it. So she starts doing her makeup. And at some point, she rips, like, a section of her face oh. off. And, like, Lionel comes in and, like, super glues it back on. Yeah. Um, just cancel. You know? Just cancel. Yeah. They'll come back another day when your mom's face is not falling off of her body. Um, but they go down. And there's this really weird, like, scene of them all eating together. And she has, like, so much makeup on. And she's, like, just trying to make it through this But thing. she, like, she's, every time they try to talk to her, she's just like, ugh! Yeah. Like, she's not, like, she's not good. It's not going great. And this whole thing culminates when Lionel brings out pudding for everyone. The dessert. Because he's trying to get them out and, like, the, it's a woman and her husband who have come over. And the husband's like, wait, no dessert? And so he brings out pudding and uh, they're all eating it. And this is, in my opinion, the most disgusting scene in the movie. That's pretty gross. Where, uh... Vera ends up, like, scratching the wound on her arm, and it squirts into this guy's pudding. Then he eats, like, the weird fluids and stuff that came out of her wound. Yep. And then, while she's also doing this, her ear falls off, and then she proceeds to eat her own ear. Yep. With the earring, and then she, like, spits out the earring. Yeah, She does. It's so gross. Um, so that's obviously not great. And he's like, okay, we gotta, like, get a nurse up in here, because, like, obviously... You know, she's not in good shape. So he puts her back to bed after the people leave. And then he... I think Paquita comes over. Yeah, Paquita comes over and she's looking for her dog? No, so 
I think he came to the store to like try and break up with her and then he ran away earlier right. and then she comes over and she's like what the hell's going on like mm-hmm. I haven't seen you you've disappeared because I think it's supposed to have been like a week has passed or something like that or yeah. a couple days and she had brought her dog with her because her dog came with her everywhere she went and then her dog like runs into the house and this is after he's already put Vera to bed um and then she heard like sorry was that train of thought clear in terms of how that went yeah okay great so um the dog runs inside and they hear like yelping and so Lionel and Paquita run in and see like this bloody room and the mom Vera is just sitting there with something like furry sticking out of her mouth and they pull it out and they pull out the entire length of a German shepherd's tail from her like throat yeah and Paquita's like, your mother has eaten my dog or something And then like Lionel's that. like, well, not all of it. And Which then it shoots helpful. like the bed covered in blood with like body parts, yeah. dog body parts on it. <laughs> this is a weird movie. It's really weird. So they're like, shit, something is not Gucci here. Um, so that's when they decide to officially call the nurse. Yeah. And the nurse comes over. Um, but the, so Vera like falls down the stairs and they're like, okay, that's it. And, like, she and, and Lionel kind of fall down the stairs, like, together. And so they hit the bottom, and she's, like, not conscious. So he's like, okay, shit. Like, mom's dead. That's that. And then she comes back as a fucking zombie. Yeah. And the nurses come over, and uh, Lionel sent Paquita upstairs to, like, pack an over a night bag for the mom. And there's this weird, like, battle thing happening. And he turns on the radio, and so there are all these, like, smashes. And she's upstairs packing the bag and thinks it's a part of this radio show. Um, because all of the sound effects that are happening in real life just coincide really well with this weird radio show he turned on. And so while he's fighting, like, his zombie mom, she's like, what color nightgown do you think your mom would like? The red or the green? And he's, like, punching his mom in the face. Yeah. He's like, I think she'd like the green one. <laughs> like- um, and the uh, zombie mom ends up killing the nurse. Yes. And uh, what she does is she, like, decapitates the nurse Most almost the all the way. And part of me is curious if this is where J.K. Rowling got inspiration for Nearly Headless Nick. Because this <laughs> is, like, Nearly Headless Nurse. It's true. Um, and obviously the nurse comes back as a zombie as well. Because why not? Yeah. And somehow Lionel uh, gets them both in the basement and locks them up. Yes. And then Paquita, like, brings on the overnight bag and hands it. She's like, oh, do we need to get your mom out? And he's like, nope everything's fine and just like ignores her and like goes and sits next to the radio like listening and she's like well what the fuck and like she leaves all mad because he's now ignoring her again yeah um so lionel decides that he has to go he has to keep them sedated because he doesn't want to kill his mom even though he should like if this happens kill your mom yeah just say she fell down the stairs 100 you know? percent. Just, just kill her um but he's like instead i'm gonna go get a sedative so he goes to this vet this is like also really odd He's got, like, a really strong German accent, and he's, like, He talks about coming from Latvia, even though it's obvious he's not actually from Latvia. Right. He's definitely a Nazi. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So he comes in, and he's, like, uh, Lionel comes in to talk to the vet, and he's, like, I want to get some sedatives. He's, like, who do you think I am? Like, I don't sell drugs and stuff like that. He's, like, I don't have sedatives, but I do have tranquilizers. And it's just, like, this weird joke. And then uh, and he talks about how, like, immigration wants his papers, but he lost his papers. It's very strange. And then he, like, turns around to get the tranquilizers, and his, like, white lab coat gets ripped on the arm and shows that he's literally wearing an a Nazi armband underneath the jacket. A strange choice if you're trying to fly under the radar and just in general. Maybe take it off. Yeah. Also, maybe don't put a random Nazi in a movie for laughs. It's very weird. It's very strange. I don't know why he's there. 
Uh, also, we never see this character again. No, he's just a this strange one scene. Nazi veterinarian who shows up for one scene only. And, like, his accent is so insane that at the end he says something about, like, are you going to... Are you going to snort it? Are you going to like sniff it or shoot it or something like that? But like I literally, I was watching it with me and my fiance and his friend and none of us could understand what he says. We we're like, what? What? Also that? worth noting that Paquita has like a really strong like Spanish accent and doesn't always speak in like proper English. Yeah, it's weird. And that combined with like the stereotypical Romani stuff, like this was just not a movie that treated like people who are different no, well. Not great. Um, and at first, like maybe it's also because we were watching like a really bad quality copy because the only way you can watch this movie is through like a bootleg copy on YouTube. Yeah. There's no other way to get a copy of this nope. other than paying like $50. Which don't. Yeah. Don't. Unless you're a collector, don't do that. Um, <laughs> but so part of it was like, it wasn't always super synced up, but half the time it sounded like Paquita was dubbed. Because yeah, honestly, she might have been. She might have been, yeah. It's hard to tell. Um, but anyway, he ends up getting some animal tranquilizers from this creepy Nazis at vet. Yeah, and he goes to visit Paquita after this. And her grandmother gives him, like, a, a pendant for good luck. Yeah, there's a shot of her doing, like, a tarot card reading where she's pulling out, like, all these really, like, horrible, like, ominous tarot cards. And she's like, you're, you've been marked by death. So she gives him this, like, giant pointy pendant. That has the sun and the moon. Or, so she gives him this giant like pointy pendant that has like the star and the moon on it from the original tarot card. Yeah. Um, so then Vera breaks out of the basement and is hit by a tram. And it seems like she's killed. So like everyone thinks that she's dead. So they have to do a funeral for her. Uh, which is difficult because she is in fact not dead. She's, she's still a zombie. Yeah. So Lionel like tranks her super hard. He keeps having to like sneak into the funeral home in like the back in order to uh, give her these tranquilizers. And because this movie is this movie, there's a weird shot of like they have her hooked up all to these machines and are trying to make her look like less dead. But they forget to turn the machines off. And so she overflows and like pukes out all this like oh my formaldehyde God. stuff. It's so disgusting. Yeah, but he um, ends up, like, wrestling with his mom trying to get her the sedatives while sneaking in the back of his funeral home, and they crash into the actual funeral. And they're like, that's a way to make an entrance. Yeah. Like, we don't understand what this relationship was like. No, and so, like, families in from out of town, including Lionel's really creepy uncle. Les. Les, um, who really wants to fuck Paquita and is not subtle about it. Nope, not at all. Nope. And he also really wants Lionel's inheritance because he wants the house for himself and he wants all of his sister's money. Yep. Um, so Vera is buried and Lionel's like, okay, I have to go back to the graveyard to like dig her up and keep her sed- uh, like sedated so that she doesn't come back. And so he goes and he runs into like all of these like gangster hoodlum types um, very, like, 50s greasery. Sort yeah. Of. It's, it's weird. And they don't explicitly say this. Um, they... It seems like they think that he is, like, a necrophiliac, though, and that he's, yeah, like, digging up the bodies. Yeah, they hint at it and stuff, but it's also in weird New Zealand slang, so I'm not 100% sure. Maybe it is really obvious, and we just don't know New Zealand yeah. slang. I don't know. But so he's like, no, that's gross, and Void, who's, like, the head hoodlum guy. Yeah, he pees on uh, Vera's grave. But don't do that, because Vera's hand pops up from the grave and grabs him by his dick. Yup. Which happens a lot. Not just to him, but, like, a lot of people get punched in the dick in this movie. I mean, slapstick comedy as it happens. True. Um, But, yeah, so she comes out of the grave, and she ends up, like, attacking all these young hoodlums. I love that the Wikipedia article calls them hoodlums. Hoodlums. Um, 
And they all get turned into zombies. But then... Then a fucking priest comes out of nowhere. Yep, the priest who led the sermon, he's like, they're he kick-ass. He drops in and he goes, it's time for some divine intervention. And then <laughs> Lionel's like, what are you doing? Like, don't get involved with this. And he goes, oh no, son, I kick ass for the Lord. And then just fucking decimates all of them. He takes them <laughs> all out and like does such a great job. Then at the very end gets like bitten by Void. He gets bitten by... Void, yeah, because he, like, knocks his head off because Void has been zombified by Vera. And then Void's head, like, falls back down and, like, bites him on the shoulder. Yeah, because he, he decapitates Void. Yeah. And then he somehow gets, like, knocked up and, like, impaled on, like, a grave or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like, he gets, yeah, he gets, like, kicked and it, yeah, he gets, I don't like, exactly impaled. know how he gets impaled, but he gets impaled. Yeah, there's, like, a, a an angel or something with, like, a sword or something on one of the graves and he yeah. gets impaled on that. It is an insane scene. This is one of my favorite scenes just because of the phrase, I kick ass for the Lord. It's pretty good. Yeah. This guy is underrated. He is in this movie he's as a human for like 45 seconds. Pre-zombie, he's probably one of the best characters. He's incredible. Post-zombie, not a fan. No, nah, I mean, he sucks. They all suck post-zombie. That's true. But he gets zombified. Void is zombified. All the other zombies were completely decimated and destroyed by the priest, luckily. So there are only two new zombies. Lionel's like, it's time for me to hide all of these zombies in my basement. This will be fine. Yep. So uh, he takes the zombies home. And there's like a scene of him like bringing them all pudding. Because he's trying to feed them all sedatives. Yeah. But it's hilarious because it's just all of these people just throwing food around and like failing to eat it or like the nurse tries to eat it but because she's like mostly doesn't have a head it like just pours out like through her neck he has to like dump it straight down also it must not have been void who was the head that fell back down on the priest actually because void has a head oh yeah securely intact you're right yeah um but during this the zombie priest and the zombie nurse form a little love connection yeah they're like making eyes at each other and then uh he hears um lionel hears a knock at the door and it turns out les is at the house so he is like lock up the dining room mm-hmm. and go deal with les who's like trying to get money out of him yeah and when he comes back the zombie nurse and the zombie priest have um consummated their love they have with weird zombie sex on the dining room table they sure have so all this shit is going on lionel's like i can't do this and also have a girlfriend so he breaks up with paquita he's like i'm just not interested anymore like you can't be around me she's obviously devastated um but this is this is what he thinks is going to keep her safe is if he just keeps all these fucking zombies in a basement and just tells her not to hang out with him yeah that'll be fine and then while he is like breaking up with her um zombie nurse has gotten zombie pregnant and had a zombie Zombie baby. baby in like two days Maybe very even fast. less. It was a very, very, very yeah. fast. Um, and this zombie baby is so weird. His name is Selwyn. I didn't even know zombie baby had a name. I went to elementary school with a kid named Selwyn. I've never met anyone named Selwyn. I wonder if he was named after this movie. Came out in 1992. Nah, he would have been too old because I was okay. born in 91. I think he was the same age as me. Well, unfortunate name. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Mostly just because I wouldn't want to have the same name as this creepy zombie baby. It's a really creepy zombie baby, but it gets big pretty quickly. It's like the size of a toddler almost immediately. Yeah, and then Lionel, for some reason, decides the best thing to do is take this baby out in, like, a carriage covered in barbed wire. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, he's just trying so hard to make things normal the entire time. And it's, like, obviously not a normal situation, but he just, like, can't accept that. And this is another one of those really weird, like, kind of unnecessary slapsticky scenes that, to me, just wasn't really funny, even though I know it was trying to be funny. Yeah, he, like... 
the zombie baby keeps getting away, and so he keeps having to chase it down, and since it's, like, a danger, he keeps having to be, like, somewhat violent with it, so there's all these scenes of him just, like, stomping this baby, punching it, kicking it in front of all these horrified people. Yeah, and then he ends up getting it back in, like, the little baby carriage, but he runs into Paquita, who's on a date with Roger, the guy who she really liked in the very beginning. Devastating for him. Though Roger's kind of obnoxious. Oh, he's so annoying. He just keeps talking the whole time. Yeah. So he goes back home, and he's all in his feelings and everything like that, and he discovers that Les has not left the home. In fact, he has found all of the zombies in the basement. And they're, like, tied up, and they're not, like, moving around, making any noise, so Les just thinks that he's collecting dead bodies, or, like, he murdered a bunch of people and kept them in the basement. Yeah, and Les, slimeball that he is, uses this to his own benefit. He is like, okay, so I know you have all these dead people in the basement, so I can either call the police, or you can give me the house and your inheritance. And Lionel does not want to get arrested. So right. he says, okay. He's like, sure, let's do it. And Les is like, great, I'm going to have a housewarming party. Immediately. Right now. Like 20 minutes later, in mo- in like real time, not in like 20 minutes of movie time. Yeah. Like, so I guess a couple of minutes pass and all of a sudden these people just show up out of nowhere with drinks and it turns into a huge like 1950s style house party, which looks a lot like a 90s rager, but everyone is wearing uh, 1950s clothing. Yeah. Um... And so Lionel's like, hey, this is a really bad idea. But then Paquita comes over because she wants to, like, She's, like, up. walking by the house and notices that there's, like, this huge party going on. And she just ditches Roger on their date. Like, he's talking and talking and talking and turns around and she's nowhere to be seen. Yeah. Unfortunately, before she can get a hold of Lionel, she gets stopped by Les, who is a gross creep who tries to assault her. Yep. Um, she gets away from him. She Lionel. knees him in the nuts. She knees him in the nuts. She gets away from him. Um, and she escapes by going into the basement. Where there are fucking zombies. Yup. And so, oh boy. So, she's down there. Lionel comes down there. She's like, hey, what the fuck? Quick question. And he's like, here is my whole zombie family. And he explains the whole situation. She's like, you need to kill them. Yeah. Like, we, you can't let them live. Like, smart girl. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I guess you're right. And so they find a poison and they start administering it to all of the zombs. But unfortunately... It's not poison! It's animal stimulants? Is that a thing? Why would you have that in your basement? I don't know. And also, like, why is one side just like a skull and crossbones and says poison? And the other side says, like, danger, animal stimulant. Like, that's not poison. Those are different things. Yeah, it's, it's fucked up. Um, so he, Lionel is stuck down there in the basement because Les has, um, put him down there sort of as a revenge. So like they went back up to the party and Les finds Lionel and like chucks him down in the basement because he still wants to like assault. Yeah. And then he grabs Paquita who he's pissed at because she like need him. Yeah. And he starts to like, assumingly like he's going to sexually assault her. Yeah. Um, but... That's actually when Lionel realizes that they are animal stimulants, not poison. And he's like, oh shit. And then there's just a bunch of fucking super-powered zombies. In the yeah, and they them. get out of the basement. Yeah, he gets away from them, but the zombies all get upstairs. Yep. So now there's just this house full of guests and all of these zombies who are just, like, ready to fucking kill people. And that's what they do. And there's a very long, like, violent scene of them just massacring people. There's, like, they just pull the entire rib cage out of a person at some point. Yeah, they rip a guy's heart out or a woman's heart out. Yeah. And there's this one woman with glasses who's, like, kind of a survivor. She's there, like, hanging out with Paquita. And, like, she... Keeps almost getting attacked. All the screaming, all the noises, I think, is what gets Les to, like, leave Paquita alone. Like, he never successfully assaults her. No, he doesn't. 
Um, so this is a long scene, and honestly, there's not much to say about it other than like, it's a lot of blood. This is the very bloody scene. I think there's something like 50,000 gallons of blood went into this scene. Oh my God. There's just so much. At some point, there are like weird intestines that have a life of their own. Like they've been ripped out of a guy and yeah, they're like crawling around kind of like. I think they get ripped out of void. The, okay. The hoodlum. I had no idea. I just knew all of a sudden there were intestines everywhere. Yeah. And so they're like this little like nervous system basically like or intestines like running around trying to like kill um Lionel and Lionel has the brilliant idea after things look like they're going really really badly and like Paquita and the other girl are like trying to fight their way up uh, like upstairs using like I think they have like an umbrella stand or something like that like not enough to take care of all those people no um he goes outside and comes back in with a lawnmower and god what does he say Oh, oh he goes, the party's over now, or something like that. Like some silly I don't remember. catchphrase before he... And he starts up the lawnmower and just plows through all of these zombies as they're coming at him. And he's just... Apparently, fun fact, during the scene, he was using a real lawnmower, and people were just throwing wax arms, like, and stuff. Like, so they're all, like, wax body parts that are going into the lawnmower. Gotcha. But it's a real, actual lawnmower. Solid. And so he's just plowing through... All of these people. He does like two or three laps. He does. He does a great job. And so the floor is just like covered in like disgusting um, gore. And um, Paquita has like a. a Meanwhile, Paquita. So Paquita and the girl with the glasses, whose name's. I think her name's Rita. Mm -hmm, That sounds right. And uh, Les have all like gotten locked in like the kitchen. Yeah. And at some point, Rita gets bit. But isn't really turning. It takes a long time for it her does to take turn. Her a while, yeah. And Les like tries to kill her immediately, and Paquita's like, no, because she's trying to like save Rita. And uh at some point, Les ends up getting like two machetes and like chopping his way through a bunch of people as well. Like he helps out with the zombie fighting. And he gets down to the basement and he is attacked by a very large thing that you only see through the shadows, but he looks up at it as it starts to attack him and he goes, oh, Vera. And then it just like fucking destroys him. And, but all the zombies at the party have been destroyed. Yes. And Paquita's like, let's go. And Lionel's like, not yet. Haven't seen like dear ma or something like that. Yeah. So he's like, all right, we're going to figure this shit out. Um, and then ma, Vera fucking explodes out of that basement. And she is very terrifying and very naked. Yep. So she's like way bigger than she was before. She's like huge and monstrous. Yeah. And her boobs are just out. Also yep. big. Also, she has like this huge stomach. Yeah. Which is funny because she was like a petite old woman. And now she just yeah. has like, giant boobs and giant stomach and is very naked. It's just it's weird. It's very strange. Um, also worth noting, um, at some point in all the zombie chaos, um, Lionel had gotten locked in an attic because the zombie chaos just goes on without oh, any yeah, real plot insane. points for so long. But at some point he gets locked in an attic and he finds a trunk that has like a skeleton in it yes, and, and has pictures of, pictures of his dad and a other woman that's not his mom. Mm-hmm. And um, we see shots of like this woman being drowned. Yeah. So he kind of remembers that instead of it being that his father tried to save him from drowning in the ocean, he walked in on his mother drowning his father and his father's mistress in the bathtub. Yeah. So she's straight up a murderer. Yep. And now she's coming for him. Um, a pipe bursts in the house, like a gas pipe, and so the house catches fire. And, and like, they're up on the roof. Yeah, they run to the roof. At some point, like, Paquita almost falls off because she's um, big, giant zombie Vera has, like, these long fingernails, too, that she's sure. using to, like, try and, like, 
peel uh, Vera's hands off of the like thing that she's holding on to to stay on the roof. Mm-hmm. And Lionel confronts his mom about the fact that like, you killed these people. And she's like, don't talk to your mother like that. And then her stomach like opens up in half. Yeah. Like there's a vertical like opening in it and it just like consumes him. Yeah. And uh, then he has to, she like keeps trying to kill Paquita, but Lionel takes the pendant that Paquita's grandmother gave to him and cuts his way out of his mother with that. Yep. And so then he kills her and then she falls back into the burning house and they walk away together Hand in hand. In love. And covered in blood. So covered in blood. Holy shit. And he throws the pendant away. Yeah. He's like, he's, I don't need this anymore. He's no longer marked for death. Seems like a bad idea. I don't know for sure that like, he isn't. Keep it, dude. It's, it's a good... There's zombies everywhere. It saved you multiple times. Yeah. Maybe don't throw away the thing that saved you, because I could totally see there being a Dead Alive 2, where yeah. he's now murdered in the first scene, because he doesn't have his pendant. It's true. Somebody else gets the pendant. And then they become the hero. Sure thing. All right. So that's that. It's insane. And again, like, there's a lot of... I think that the main issues that we have with it are the amount of sexual assault and also racism. That's my main issue with it. Because, like, I get the appeal of all the blood and the gore and, like, the weird effects and stuff like that. Like, I get that. There is an audience for that. It might not be my favorite thing, but I can appreciate that this does a very good job of all that. Yeah. I just don't really enjoy jokes about monkey rape and uh, how offensive some of those comments were about like the indigenous people on the island yeah those were like really got to me unnecessary yeah and i know it's crazy to be like oh like the amount of violence that happens in that movie doesn't really bother us but that other stuff does but like honestly that other violence never happens in real life you know to that level whereas like assault and racism those are like actual things that like actually affect people yeah zombies attacking you and you having to take them out with a lawnmower is like obviously just fantasy you know and i do like i was reading some of the reviews on rotten tomatoes because this has a killer rotten tomatoes score it's like 86 percent. yeah it's just something crazy like that and i was like and i didn't really like it and some of the reviews were like well if you don't like it this movie is not for you and it's like well so i get that if it's like you don't like it because of the gore yeah don't fully get that if it's like, oh, well, yeah, there are like racist and sexist things that happen in this movie. Well, it's not for you. It's like, I don't yeah. know. I'm not okay with that yeah. being the reason it's I not for me. I agree with you there. Like, it's there's definitely reasons to criticize this movie that don't have anything to do with like the gross factor, which really, do, I mean, aside from like it bothered me in some places like viscerally, but like I don't mind that in a movie. Like, I don't mind a movie that makes me feel like I'm gonna puke. At yeah, times. like that's part of it. You know, that's like what. This movie was made to do. Exactly. It does that very, very well. It does. It's just there's some other things in there that like... And part of it's a product of its times. I mean, it is a 27-year-old movie. It is. To me, the 90s still feel like they're recent enough that that shouldn't have been like a thing. That just like throwing a Nazi in for laughs maybe was... That didn't even bother me that much because it's like the Nazi doctor thing is like more of a trope that's like... I don't know. That doesn't... That bothered me only because like it didn't add anything like there was nothing about that scene of the thing ripping that like added to the movie yeah i get that yeah i think it's more random than like it didn't like offend me or anything like that um but yeah i don't know i mean to me it's just like the yeah the the racist elements and the the constant rape mentions is like we get it. I do think they do okay. a better job with the Hermione people than Drag Me to Hell. Did. Oh, definitely, yeah, because like there's still one some of, like yeah, not like, great she's jokes. actually a main character and like has a personality and isn't just like a weird and like, demon out for revenge or whatever, you know. There's a couple things that are like okay, but like this doesn't seem necessary. 
But overall, like, they're kind of the heroes of the movie. True. And, like, without them, everyone would have died. Yeah. While, like, in Drag Me to Hell, they're the evil villains. And, yeah. And, like, really made up to be gross. Yeah. I feel you. So that, I think, bothered me with this movie. I think I would have enjoyed it more if not for those elements. But I do recognize that it's 27 years old. Yeah. And honestly, I think that at a certain point, part of horror is that it traditionally has always been sort of, like, edgy and shocky. And so there is less of a sensitivity to that kind of thing, especially with older movies. I think now it's getting a little bit better in terms of, like, there's other ways to be shocking and other ways to be scary. Yeah. That aren't, like, that overdone and, you know, like, racist. I mean, I think we're in, like, a horror renaissance right now. I do, too. Oh, my God. We talked about this a lot. But, like, yeah, now is, like, a great time for horror. I think this is a fantastic time for, like, really high-quality horror. Definitely. Um, And I think it's because we're not just accepting the same tropes and the same, like... yeah this is shocking and like or it's not just shock value now it's how do we actually scare people in like a way that kind of gets to their core yeah and i mean there are still certainly like you have like your lars von triers who are still there just like i mean not just to be shocking but like being shocking is a big part of lars von triers like what he does so there's still people who are doing the shock thing who who is lars von trier he's a director he did like uh, antichrist where um, oh yes yeah. yes yes so like there's still a lot of like very very gory violent shit out there but there's a lot of other stuff as well which is kind of cool yeah. and i mean there's other stuff I mean, happening in the i haven't well, seen but... antichrist i've read the synopsis yeah for i haven't it. either i can't bring myself to do i it. don't know if i can i um, like everyone who's in it but i just i can't it, you know. yeah but i mean even then that's like i've heard people who've watched it and they like love it mm-hmm. and it's supposed to still be really high quality even though it is like very much for shock value that's also true is that he is a like a good director in addition to being like a very gory and shocking director yeah so, you know we're kind of yeah we're in a renaissance things are changing yeah in a cool way um so, but I think that it's important to talk about our creator of this movie and where it all came from. PDJ. PDJ. Old PJ. Um, so the interesting thing is that Peter Jackson actually got his start in splatter films. Yeah, he made a multiple. Yeah, he made a couple. So before this, um, he made um, a movie called Bad Taste, which is his first like feature film that he ever made. And he said it took him a really, really long time to make it. He just kind of kept adding on to it and adding on to it. And it's about aliens who come to Earth to, to try to eat people. But it's, like, it's famous for there's, like, people eating vomit and, like, exploding sheeps and just, like, a lot of, like, really over-the-top gross stuff. Exploding sheeps? Exploding sheeps. Yeah. I mean... Not real sheep, probably. New Zealand horror movies just love messing with sheep, man. Dude, they do. Um, have you seen the New Zealand black sheep? No. There's a New Zealand movie called Black Sheep that's about, like, were sheep, <gasps> where if you get bit by one, you turn into a sheep. That sounds amazing. It's honestly. actually really fun. That it's like a weird fantastic. 2000s, like, gory New Zealand movie. I love it. That's perfect. Um, so, yeah, so he made that, and then he made another movie called um, Meet the Feebles, which is, like, a dark comedy with Muppets, basically. Yeah. Like, Muppet-style puppets. So he, like, had a very weird start to his career. Um, Brain Dead slash Dead Alive was his third movie. And he talks a lot about, like, kind of his influences on what got him into the, like, what he wanted to do in film. And he talks a lot about George Romero and Sam Raimi, which makes a lot of sense for why he ultimately decided to make a zombie movie. Yeah, totally. Because both of those guys are known best for their zombie work. And this movie 
owes, I think, a lot to Evil Dead, specifically Evil Dead 2. Yeah, um, because I, mean, I guess Evil Dead had, like, the Deadites, which, as once you got, like, infected by one, it passed along, kind of got faster each time. Right. Um, and there were also, like, non-traditional zombie-type thing. I guess there were supposed to be more demons than zombies. Yeah, because the book. And, yeah. They also still kind of rotten. Like, I mean, the zombies in this are not traditional zombies either. They do come back from the dead and stuff like that, but they almost get, like, super strength at times, which a lot of zombie movies don't have, unless you go with, like, the 28 Days Later zombies. Um, they kind of, once you decapitate them, it doesn't really stop them. There's yeah. a lot of differences. They um, just keep going. They're untraditional zombies they in are. Dead Alive. Yeah. Um, and obviously Romero as well was doing things like uh, Day of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, stuff like that. And so that's more like, I don't know. I don't see it as splattery, like Romero's work as much. Like there's a no. lot of gore in it and there's a lot of violence. And like obviously but, the little girl like eating her father in Night of the Living Dead is really gory and kind of extreme. Yeah. But it doesn't really feel as over the top. It's like almost like the starting point. So that was also like, what, like 32 years before this movie came out? Yeah. So that's like, like that. a long time for sort of the genre to develop. I mean, Evil Dead 2 also had a lot of those slapstick elements, and that was, yeah. like, one of the first, like, really big horror comedy slapstick things. Yeah. So both of these genres, like, have a long history, right? Like, so, like, Splatter goes back for a long time. There used to be, like, in the very early days of film, like, theater shows that were just about um, extreme violence and extreme gore. You see on-screen brutality in movies like D.W. Griffith's Intolerance, which focuses on, like, there's a lot of scenes of, like, impalement and things like that where you see a lot of blood on film. This is nothing new. It really, like, kind of amps up into the 1960s where you have um, Herschel Gordon-Lewis's movie Blood Feast, um, which kind of kicked it off in terms of, like, real extreme on-screen gore. I mean, we've mentioned the movie Cannibal Holocaust before, which I really don't want to watch because they literally kill animals on screen. Exactly. Um, But that movie, in case you haven't listened to our past episodes, um, was so violent and over the top that it was banned in a lot of countries. And the filmmakers actually had to go to court and prove that those actors were alive because they thought they'd literally been murdered on screen. Yeah, and apparently when you watch it now, it's like, no, obviously that person wasn't actually murdered. But, like, people didn't know, you know, it was, like, yeah. kind of newer then. Um, and that was in, I think, 1980. You have movies like I Spit on Your Grave in the 1970s, which is, like, a really intense, like, um, rape revenge film. So, like, a woman goes and, like, murders her attackers. And, oh, that's like, better than really, I thought that really, would be. Yeah. Really violent, really over the top, really gory. Like, this was a whole thing. Like, people were really upset about it. They they called them, like, the video nasties. And, like, they got yeah. banned, like you said, a lot of places. Really strict ratings. Um, but honestly, by the 90s, it had kind of died out a little bit. Like, it was really big in the 70s and 80s. And then it sort of, like, slowed down in the 90s, came back really hot in the 2000s with, like I said earlier, Hostel and Saw and stuff like that. And a Serbian film. And a Serbian film, which came out in I will probably never watch. I never want to watch I that, no. I'm never going to watch that movie. No. Nah. Um, and then the other genre that this is a part of is horror comedy, which goes back even further because you have movies, or you have, like, books that are horror and also comedy. Like, that's been around forever. Yeah. Um... And it, again, also kind of ramped up into the 1980s. So you have, like, the Evil Dead, uh, Evil Dead 2, which is very funny, Army of Darkness, which is on the funnier side. Um, movies like Reanimator and Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Space which are both also very violent. Mm-hmm. I haven't so, actually seen either of those. Um, I haven't seen Reanimator, but I have seen... <laughs> Tim made me watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And it's not, like, this level of violence. Like, it's not, you know, 50,000 gallons of blood. Yeah. <laughs> but it does kind of combine that extreme gore with the humor. And I think that those two things really go hand-in-hand with each other? I think definitely. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why um, 
kind of going to a Tarantino thing because Tarantino did a lot of really strong violence in the yeah. 90s. Um, but like Kill Bill, like some of those I think are supposed to be kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to take extreme, extreme violence seriously. Like there's no way that a serious movie could ever include a guy mowing down like a crowd of people with a lawnmower. So even like in high school, I played uh, Gears of War with my family. And there's like an entire level where you're just inside of a worm, like trying to fight your way out and you have to keep cutting up all the arteries and stuff like that. And we thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Cause this it's like, like overly violently video game because it's just not real. Right. It's so over the top. Like it, and that's what I, I think you couldn't make this movie in any other genre besides horror comedy. So it's smart to lean in and make yeah. all these weird jokes because it's so weird anyway. People are going to be laughing anyway. You might as well be in on the joke, you know? Totally. Um, and so you see a lot of that slapstick element that like came from like the Sam Raimi movies in this movie as well. Like it has a very distinct like lineage to those movies. Um, and then I, I mean, I think. Works as well. <laughs> I, I think that this doesn't do as good of a job as being funny. It's just nothing really landed for me. And I was like, oh, I get it. This is supposed to be funny. But you yeah. go back to like old actual like slapstick comedies from the 50s. Like I love the movie Some Like It Hot. Like yeah. it's such a fun movie. And that's like does slapstick comedy kind of well. And you could still do something. I mean, not the plot of Some Like It Hot would be insane if it was a horror movie. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, um, some like it bloody. <laughs> but like you could do that same kind of slapstick. And a lot of these are like Three Stooges inspired. You could do that with a lot of blood and still have it be funny. And this looks like it tries too hard to be funny without yeah. like landing very well. To yeah, me. I don't know if the main guy has amazing comedic timing. I don't think he does. He reminds me a lot of like an Ash type character, like from Evil Dead, but he doesn't have the charisma that Bruce Campbell has. Right, Bruce Campbell is like charming to watch, and this guy is not really. I mean, especially like in Evil Dead too. Like Bruce Campbell's basically the only character in the movie because yeah, he's just no fighting really himself matters. in his hands. Yeah. Like, everyone else dies pretty early on. Yeah. And, like, not to say that there aren't issues with Evil Dead 2. There are. Or Evil Dead. Like, there's... There are. The tree rape thing is, like, weird and doesn't need to be there. Like, there's a lot of problems with that movie as well, but it's just the stuff that it's trying to do, I feel like it does so much better than this movie does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one quote that I found in a book that Maddie gave me for Christmas called Yay. Horror Films of the 1990s, which is a good book despite falsely categorizing this movie as having come out in 1990. I think it definitely got confused with the U.S. Brain Dead, which came out in 1990. Yeah. Um, their comment on it was, Raimi's movie is built and developed into insanity, whereas Jackson's films remain at maximum frenzy throughout. The ironic and contradictory result of this quality is that Jackson's movies, with the gas pressed to the floorboard all the time, often end up feeling boring and stagnant about after about half an hour of wacky hijinks, which is exactly how I felt about it. Can movie. confirm. I was ready for it to be over about, like, 45 minutes in. Yeah, because it's just after a while, you're like, oh my god, I get it. It's going to be gross, and the zombie baby's going to go all over the place. Like, I, I'm, I, I'm done. I don't care. And, like... I think there have been some good, like, moments of fresh air where just, like, more scenes of, like... Lionel and Paquita, or... Or just... Just non-crazy violent scenes non-stop, because it's just like, it was... You, can, you can't you can stay shocked for very long. Right. You see it, and you're like... like I think that the, what the ear scene and like the pudding and all that did really well is it was unexpected and really gross, and it was the first time something really gross happened. And yeah. we're like, oh, man. And then just like... It just never stopped after that. And so by the end, when you have like this lawnmower going through people, you're just like, yeah, I kind of expect that to happen at this point. Like, yeah. I'm not surprised. 
Yeah. I think that my favorite part was the I kick ass for the Lord scene because I was not expecting that shit to happen and it was genuinely funny. And like that priest when he was alive was charming. He was. When he was zombie copulating with zombie nurse. Less so. Yeah, that's another thing that I was disappointed in. They, they occasionally will like introduce these characters like Rita, the, the woman at the party, who are like kind of interesting and charming and are just like someone other than Lionel and Paquita who are not very well fleshed out, to be honest with you. They're not. So they introduce these other characters, and then they're either shitty, like Les, or they're awesome, like Rita or the priest, and then they die or get turned into zombies and become villains. And it's just like, I don't know. I there wasn't really anyone likable in this movie. No. Like, Paquita's just kind of painted as a boy crazy, like, all she cares about is, like, finding her man or whatever, and she doesn't have a personality outside of that. Not really. Um, And Lionel's just kind of like, doofy and kind of wimpy and stays at home and takes care of his mom the mom has like all these characters have one quality that defines them throughout the entire movie yeah which is not actually interesting to less is just creepy and yeah. yeah the characters that were actually interesting like the priest and like rita you said like they were kind of a nice taste when you have these boring characters yeah and like there is an arc to lionel sort of in that like he starts off unable to like address his mother and like talk to her about how bad she is and like what she's done like he can't really deal with any of that stuff and he won't actually take action on any of it and so like his overall arc is that he eventually like saves the day by being able to say to his mom like no you did all this terrible shit i'm not gonna pretend that you didn't anymore and i'm gonna like he fights his way out of the womb and like yeah you know is reborn as a new man who doesn't take shit from his mom or whatever but that's like it's not it's, it's very surface level. Because he just should have done that so much sooner, you know? Like, he should have killed yeah. her when she first became a zombie. I did just make the realization that all the movies that Peter Jackson is known for now are all adaptations. So he has, like, fleshed out characters handed to him already. Yeah, actually, that was something that I, I was talking to uh, Tim and our friend Walt about when we were um, talking about this movie. And we were kind of trying to discuss the rest of Peter Jackson's um, work is that, like, especially on something like Lord of the Rings, obviously he did well with that. And, like, all of the, like, the direction is good and the performances that he gets out of people are good. But, like, what makes Lord of the Rings incredible is that there's so much lore, which someone else wrote. Yep. There is literal dialogue, which other people wrote, which J.R.R. Tolkien wrote. And there's this whole, like, world that was beautifully designed, but, like, he's not doing it himself. No, he's creating an interpretation of, like, work that's already been handed to him. Right, which is and great. also, like, for a lot of the world building, like, the special effects are incredible, but Peter Jackson didn't do the special effects. Somebody else did. He hired a lot of people who were really good, but, I mean, I don't even know how many people those he hired. And I'm not trying to undermine Peter Jackson's work on that movie, because he did a great job with it, and he deserves the Oscar that he got for it. Yeah. Like, fantastic movies. Um but it, it's definitely different when you come into it with a huge team and a huge budget and, and like a very expansive world of work that already exists to draw from. You can do something like that. I don't know that he has it in him to do it. I don't on think his he own. could create an original Lord of the Rings like world on his no, own. No, I don't think he could either. Based on these characters that we see in this movie. Yeah. Interestingly, he does talk a lot about um, King Kong being an early um, influence on him. And he ended up making a King Kong movie. He did, yeah. And I think it's really funny um, because the name of the island that they find the Sumatran rat monkey on is Skull Island, which is the same name as the island in King Kong where they find King Kong. So both of these movies are kind of about a primate being taken away from its home on Skull Island and brought to a city 
where it being on display causes a lot of problems. That's true. Um, and he also, he, when he went on to make his own King Kong, he included a shot of a crate in the uh, cargo ship when they're bringing King Kong back, I think, um, that is labeled Sumatran Rat Monkey, Beware the Bite. Yeah. So he kind of, you know, he peppered that little Easter egg on in there. Yeah. Um, and also at the very end, it has a woman dangling off a rooftop. That's true. Yeah. That's definitely an influence. I mean, that one I think is the most obvious influence. I also see a lot of Psycho in this movie. Crazy mom, son Skinny, who... dark-haired man who lives in a big Victorian house up on a hill whose mom can't deal with him dating other women. Of course, in this version, his it's mom actually is the mom. actually alive. There is a lot of overlap. I didn't see that. He's like, what would happen if Norman Bates got his shit together because Norma Bates turned into a giant fucking monster? <laughs> Um, um, where he doesn't have to murder anyone except for her. That's actually included in the um, alternative endings if you buy the Psycho DVD. <laughs> when she just fucking comes up from the basement as like an enormous monster with her whole boobs out and yep. just like like sucks him back into her gut. Yeah, he just chooses to stay there. I, he would, honestly. I know. He definitely would, yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a joke that is not real. Yeah, we have talked so much about parent-child relationships on this podcast. Yeah, I'm kind of ready for a break, but we're, we're not, not going to get that. It, no, no, no. <laughs> um, there's been a lot of how, uh, I guess just horror in general, because it's something that everyone can relate to. Everyone has some sort of relationship with their parents, whether it's like a absenteeism issue that caused relationship struggles, or if it's like an overbearing. I feel like overbearing ends up an issue a lot of the oh, time. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, what's... I feel like it's a scarier thing if, like, the parent is always there and there's, like, that revenge feeling and that, like, antagonism between you and your parent or whatever. That's, like, definitely a thing that It's I something think... that everyone can connect to to a certain extent. Yeah. Everyone has some sort of fight with their parents at right. some point in time, right? Yeah. And I think everyone understands the relation, the parent-child relationship because it's one that, like, no matter what, you can't fully extricate yourself from ever. Yeah. But this is definitely at least a third movie in a row that has had parent-child issues because we had Firestarter, which is... Actually, I had a kind of a positive relationship between yeah, the dad and the daughter. Yeah, they had a parent-child And Hereditary, which was less sweet. Yeah, that one was a little more difficult. This is much worse. Yes. I mean, well. And it's just going to get worse from here. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's not going to get better. Um, so, you know, we talked a lot about where this movie came from, but it's also had an effect on horror in general. You know, it would be a mistake to say that just because we don't like it doesn't mean that it's not, like, an important movie. Yeah, I mean, I think, like I mentioned earlier, I felt like there was a strong influence on Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, like, when that lady, like, the the gross vomiting and... There's a lot of disgusting also stuff. Also, just, like, some of the, hell. like, Romani stuff is overlapping. That is true, um, also. Yeah. It's also a horror comedy. Yeah. It is. Like, it's a little slapsticky at times, especially, yeah, like, like when the weird... goat comes in. Yeah. And the goat, true. like, almost reminds... It, it, there's just a couple of moments that reminded me of each other, and I didn't particularly like either of them. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because it's, like, a cycle of, like, the jackson Raimi influence tornado. Raimi, who influences Jackson, who influences Raimi, and maybe he's going to influence Jackson's next big splatter movie. I mean, Jackson has said that he would be interested in going back to being disgusting because he thinks that he and Fran Walsh, with more years under their belts, could be much more disgusting now than they were before. So we'll see. Um, I don't know how to feel about that. One thing that I found was really interesting is that Simon Pegg mentioned that this was an inspiration for him when he was writing Shaun of the Dead. And I can see that. I can. I think that Shaun of the Dead also does zombie horror comedy a lot better than this. I also agree with that. But sometimes that's what it's, that's what a horror movie needs to do. It needs to like provide a base for better horror movies to come out of. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, there are some like weird 
if I remember correctly, there were like body parts in places and stuff. Yeah. In Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. And um, there's like the kind of improvising with the tools that you have mm-hmm. in order to like kill the zombies. And, and also the hero of that's also kind of a loser. He is. That's true. But I love Shaun of the Dead. I love Shaun of the Dead so much. We should do Shaun of the Dead at some point in time. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it has had an influence. I think a lot of people, you know, would consider this to be a cult classic, for sure. I did read that it is very strongly considered a cult classic. Like, everyone's seen it. I was reading on a Reddit thread, which, you know, super uh, credible, but it was about someone's personal experiences, so I'm going to go with it. But they were saying that they saw this movie for sale when they were um, younger in the 90s, and that it cost $95 on the shelf. This is like apparently a huge part of the tape trading scene. Um, and the fact that it was kind of hard to get was part of the charm. And that's still a thing. This is, you can't find it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, we kept trying and trying to find a copy of it. You can't stream it anywhere. You can't pay to stream it anywhere. Um, your options are pretty much buy a $50 copy of it from Amazon or watch the bootleg version on YouTube. Guess which one we did. Yeah. We watched the bootleg version on YouTube. I always try to pay for movies as much as I possibly can. Um, I've never really pirated anything because it just makes me feel gross. And I like supporting content creators and all that. But, like, sometimes you literally don't have an option. Right. I mean, listen, I would have rented this on Amazon if it was on Amazon. It's not on Amazon. I watched it on YouTube. That's fine with me because I don't need to own it. (laughs) Yeah. And Candyman was similar where it was like also really hard to get. I bought like literally the last Blu-ray on Amazon. I wonder if that will become um, easier to find with the Jordan Peele remake that's coming out. I wonder if they'll like do a re-release of Candyman. Maybe because it's supposed to be like a spiritual successor, not like officially a remake. Dude, have we talked about who the new Candyman is going to be? No. Uh, He's going to be Yaya Abdul-Mateen II. He played um, Black Manta in Aquaman. And uh, have you seen us yet? No. Ah, okay. He plays Lupita Nyong'o's character's dad in Us. Uh, He was also in the show The Get Down um, on Netflix, which I enjoyed and thought was canceled too soon. What's Um, his name again? Yaya. It's Y-A-H-Y-A Abdul-Mateen II. Yeah, I haven't seen him in anything, but I am excited. He is super handsome, and I think he's going to bring, like, a very good strong sexual B energy to the movie. Good. I think you need a strong sexual B energy for that movie. I mean, I wouldn't want to see it any other way. Though it's a young black man who's doing the investigation this time instead of a white woman. Are they going to be sexy? Probably not. But we can still find Candyman sexy. Maybe he'll find someone else to be sexy with. But I wanted him to be sexy with someone in the movie. I know. Me too. Well, you know what? It's 2019. Maybe he will get sexy with that uh, young man investigating. We'll see. I'm looking forward to it either way. I think it's going to be great. Um, Oh, (laughs) I realized on our last episode, we ended it by being like, we're going to go see Pet Cemetery. I hope it's great. It wasn't great. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I think it fell under the, the main, the same category of problems that every other Stephen King movie we've talked about on here has fallen under, which is that nothing internal happens on screen and Mm-mm. none of the characters make any sense because you don't know what they're thinking. Yeah, but Church was a killer actor. Church was amazing. And also John Lithgow deserved better. Yes. John Lithgow was great in that movie. Agreed on all fronts. All right. So what are we doing next week, Madeline? So um, like we alluded to earlier, we're going to go a step even darker in the parent-child relationship um, and go with a movie called Goodnight Mommy. Yes. This is another foreign film. This one is Austrian, right? I think so. I believe it's Austrian. 
Uh, it's really depressing and um, sad and slow and dark and quiet. So enjoy that. And then after that, I promise you we are doing a fun one. Um, an actual fun one, not just a gory fun one, but a truly genuinely fun one of my favorites. But we're not going to tell you what that is until next nope, week. Nope, you're going to have, have to wait. wait. Um, but yeah, so Goodnight Mommy um, apparently is free to watch on both Tubi and Vudu. So there are ways to watch this if you'd like to watch along. Um, but also, if you don't want to see two little boys horrifically torture their mother, then um, you can just listen to us describe it on the next episode. It'll be fun. We'll do a great job. We'll be very honest with you about what happens. Yeah, I uh, have watched this movie before and was definitely a little scarred from it. This was yeah. one of those... Uh, I have a bad habit of watching scary movies by myself. And you'd be like, Maddie, that doesn't sound like that bad of a habit. The problem is the movies that I have chosen to watch by myself include Goodnight Mommy, The Babadook, Jacob's Ladder, all just really messed up horror movies. Not Stop the fun doing ones. That. Yeah, I'm Don't trying. Do that. <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, so this was one of those alone experiences. Hopefully watching it with another person will make it slightly better. But also this movie's horrifying. It's really, really scary and spooky and fucked up. Um, but we look forward to talking with you guys about that in our next episode. In the meantime, if you enjoy our podcast, we would love it if you would rate and review us um, on iTunes or wherever it is wherever it is that you listen. Um, that really helps us know what you guys think of us and also kind of lets us get out there to other people as well, which means a lot. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram um, or on Twitter uh, at Saturday the 14th something or another. You, you just search for us. We can You can find us. I don't know. We're there. We're also on um Facebook. We're very easy to find on Facebook. So uh, feel free to um, follow us there. Tell us what you think. Drop us a line. If there are any movies you'd love for us to review, let us know. Yeah, we would love to know what you guys think. I know we've kind of gone through a few, um, I don't know, if smaller scale movies. I guess Hereditary was a big hit. But, you know, we've been a little bit... Uh, We've kind of strayed from some of the big hits, so we're trying to get back on that track. Um, if there's something that you think that we should have done that we haven't done, please tell us nicely there. Um, and we will talk to you guys soon. We love you. Take care. Drive safe. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs>